everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening, and we want to welcome our guest, Mr. Stephen Baxter. He works for NOAA headquarters. He is the Winter Weather Services Program Lead, and we're getting into that season where we're transitioning more into uh, fall and winter, and with that comes the threat of winter weather, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, it's going to be kind of twofold. NOAA just recently uh, released the uh, winter outlook for the 2020-21 uh, winter season. Uh, so we're going to go over that briefly. And then we're also going to talk about a new product that NOAA is releasing. And this is kind of similar to what we see in the summertime with uh, storms, uh, uh, the threat of storms. Uh, so it's going to be a new outlook that we're going to talk about and really dig into because this is a new product and one I think everybody will find useful. So uh, we'd love for you to join in on the conversation as you're watching tonight. Feel free to uh, drop any comments if you want to. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the show and uh, thank you for uh, joining us tonight. I know kind of a busy uh, season with you uh, getting ready and ramping up for the winter weather season. Uh, one thing we always like to ask our first time guests, and we talked a little bit about this off air, but We'll go through the, the short, uh, brief version. Uh, tell us about your weather journey. How did you uh, kind of get hooked into the weather field? And uh, how did you get to where you're at right now with NOAA? Yeah. So uh, my, my interest in weather started at a young age. A lot of us have this, have some formative moment where we decided that we wanted to be meteorologists. Mine was the blizzard of 96, early January of 96. I was in second grade. And um I still remember it quite vividly, actually, watching the Weather Channel and watching the local on the eights every 10 minutes. And I'm, I think my parents thought there was something legitimately wrong with me um, as I was just watching this concept. I, I loved it. I was hooked. Um, and so I love winter weather. That's always been my favorite type of, of weather. And so I went to Millersville University in uh, Pennsylvania, where I got my bachelor's degree in meteorology. When I was there, I was uh, lucky enough to do um, a, an internship at the time. Um, was called the Student Career Experience Program. Now it's called the Pathways Program. Uh, in, um, it's actually a, a broader, it's not just the Weather Service, but it's a broader federal initiative. But uh, I did for the Climate Prediction Center. And I worked there, uh, including that time for 10 years, about 10 and a half years before I went to headquarters. And so I um, worked in, in a couple of different positions in, in Climate Prediction Center, but I did a lot of research to operations of applied research in climate variability sub-seasonal, seasonal climate variability. And um, as part of a rotational assignment last winter, I worked over in headquarters in the winter program. And then I uh, got, uh, took that position permanently uh, during this summer. And so that's what brings me here tonight. So I'm pretty pretty new in that position. So I, I'm still doing a lot of uh, a lot of spinning up. A lot There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of awesome stuff and great people throughout the agency. Um, and going from climate to uh, to weather, which is kind of funny to say in the weather service, uh, but to do that and to, and to do that with, with winter weather, which is our, actually our newest service program um, is a lot of fun. And, but there's a lot to learn and there's a lot, uh, a lot of work that we have to do, but uh, we're, we're, we're really happy with, with, with where things have gone recently. And, and I'm happy to be here tonight to talk about some of those, some of that progress. Well, speaking of the national weather service and NOAA, they have just released their 2020, 2021. It's kind of a mouthful. Uh, winter weather outlook uh, and La Nina has been a word that's been uh, you know, talked about a lot and some of our viewers may not uh, fully understand what a La Nina is. So what is the winter outlook and how does La Nina play into that? Great question. So we start with La Nina. So La Nina is the, what we call the cold phase of what we call the El Nino Southern Oscillation. So the reason this is important is because the tropical Pacific 
um, is an important uh, heat source in generating convection and big swaths of, uh, of thunderstorms across the equator, especially in the central western Pacific. And that plays a really critical role in the formation and maintenance of the climate as we observe it even in the mid-latitudes, uh, namely through the formation of the jet stream. And what happens during La Nina and El Nino is the sea surface temperatures in the Pacific are either warmer in the case of El Nino or colder in the case of La Nina. And what that does is it, it alters relative to normal those patterns of troubled convection. And that in turn affects the jet stream across the North Pacific, especially. And that has through what we call teleconnections. So you, I think um, a lot of weather folks or people who love weather are, are familiar with teleconnections like the North Atlantic Oscillation, for instance, or the Pacific North America pattern is another prominent teleconnection. Um, and so itself imparts an extratropical teleconnection, and so is the El Nino Southern Oscillation. And so that kind of classic La Nina teleconnection, if you will, is what drives in large part the upcoming, the outlook for the upcoming winter. And so if you look at the, the, the forecasts that were published by the Climate Prediction Center, so I used to do these outlooks until about three or four months ago, um, you'll see that there's kind of a very typical La Nina type pattern that you might be familiar with which shows, uh, generally speaking, milder than normal conditions across the southern tier of the United States are favored. And then across the northern tier of the US, uh, especially across the north central northwestern parts of the US, um, colder than normal temperatures are favored. And then actually El Nino uh, actually has a slightly stronger uh, precipitation footprint than temperature, in fact. And, and across the southern tier of the US, uh, drier than normal conditions are favored in La Nina. And across the northern tier, generally speaking, it's, it's wetter, but there's kind of two centers of action you'll see. So one is in the Ohio Valley, which tends to favor wetter normal conditions to the Ohio Valley and the Great Lakes. And then again, across parts of the northern Rockies and the interior northwest. So it's a pretty classic look that you see in La Nina winters. And uh, it's fairly close to the exact opposite of what you see in El Nino. Not exactly. There's some interesting reasons for that. Uh, but um, Generally speaking, with a moderate-ish, uh, maybe strong La Nina this, this winter, um, certainly a, a robust La Nina event, and that's gonna have an important impact. And um, so that's what forms the basis for, for that winter outlook. So in regards to the La Nina um, oscillation, what about the uh, NAO, the North Atlantic Oscillation? Are there any uh, trends um, regarding what the outlook might be for, for this season? Another great question. So this is actually something I worked on uh, quite a bit while I was at um, CPC for, for the last few years. So the short answer is not really-ish. So, so the NAO um, is a very important pattern of climate variability across timescales. So we know it's important um, for short-term climate variability for the next week or two. We know it varies on longer timescales, potentially up to decadal timescales. The, the problem is the ability to predict it on seasonal timescales, especially once you remove a little bit of, an, of a La Nina influence. Um, so if the way the NAO is calculated, right? So you think one way you can think about the NAO or one way it's calculated is by looking at the relative sea level pressure anomalies in the North Atlantic between sitting near Iceland and the Azores to the south. Well, if you just take uh, El Nino or La Nina and you look at the, the, this wave pattern that comes out of the tropics and you look at the teleconnection that's imparted from El Nino and La Nina, 
uh, it will have a non-zero effect in the North Atlantic. It's small, but non-zero in a way that can appear to affect the NAO. And so there's some literature that in, this, in, in uh, our academic literature that, that looks at the relationship between El Nino and NAO. And such as it is, you might favor a positive NAO during La Nina winters, but that's not, as a, as a causal mechanism, it's a little flimsy. Um, in the example I just gave quite famously, the 95-96 winter was such a winter where you had a La Nina, but you also actually had a predominance of the negative phase in NAO, and hence one of the snowier winters on record across much of the eastern U.S., including my part of the mid-Atlantic. Um, so, but there are there are some interesting areas of research um, related to identifying sources of prediction skill for the NAO, and so it's something that we don't have right now. But I'm hopeful that in coming years um, we'll be able to talk more explicitly about the seasonal tendencies of the NAO, or it's, sometimes it's couched in it's kind of this, its sister oscillation called the Arctic oscillation, the AO, which is kind of more of a hemispheric look. They're just kind of derived slightly differently, but capture the same, in essence, the same phenomena, same phenomenon. So I'm hopeful that in future years, we'll be able to say more, something more specific about these patterns of mid-latitude variability. Um, unfortunately, in this winter outlook and what, the, what, what we're comfortable imparting um, in the current outlooks from the state of the science wouldn't really support that right quite yet. It's a good question. It's something that we think a lot about. If I was approaching from the general public and I wanted to take a look at uh, the four different colors that were available that represented the outlook, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what those colors mean and, and how are they decided? In the case of the winter storm outlook, um, there's a few different, There's um, we added an 80% this year. So there's a less than 10% chance, which won't show up as any color. There's 10 to 30, 30 to 50, and 50 to 80, and then there's um, in excess of 80%. And so that's the probability of exceeding that local watch warning criteria. Now, how do we come up with this? And so in that sense, those are meant to just kind of fairly easily communicate what the, what the relevant risks are. We can think of 50% as kind of being, roughly speaking, the criteria for a watch. So if it's more likely than not, um, that would favor a watch. Um, now, also, the, it's important to, to, um, to mention that this doesn't take the place of or totally inform watches because as we're moving towards consistent forecasts across the agency, the other aspect that we're, that we're working with is to also improve the impacts-based nature of watches and warnings. So while the probability of exceeding a certain snowfall threshold might say only be 30 or 40%, the local office could still issue a winter storm watch because they're expecting the impacts from that storm to be such that it warrants a watch or a warning. Um, so cases that might, so cases where, 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 where this gets a little slippery, um, are where you have mixed precipitation, where you have sub-warning criteria in both snow and ice, um, situations where shoulder seasons, and we saw some examples of this earlier this year, especially in the Central Rockies, where snowfall events that are early in the season with foliage still in the trees, and so snow load and power outages are more of a concern, you might issue watches and warnings for lower snow accumulation criteria because of the the, uh, the increased impacts. And then a classic example here in the East is timing is very important. 
So um, you know, heavy snow during rush hour, for instance, is more impactful than heavy snow during the middle of the night on a weekend or something like that. So, so those are local impacts that local offices can take into account. So it's not a one-to-one um, correspondence yet, but that's kind of loosely speaking, uh, 50% is where all things being equal, you would start to think about, you would, you would issue the watch that's where we're saying it's based on the on on the the reliable probabilistic guidance it's more likely than not so it's worth issuing the watch but that can be modified by the local offices take on the expected impacts of the storm i know impacts is a big deal and i know each forecast office has uh different criteria you know first thing that pops into my mind uh, would be the Atlanta snow jam in 2014, where, you know, we had maybe an inch of snow, but the temperatures were so cold. So it seems like this product that you guys are releasing is really more based on impacts and how it impacts the general public emergency management and things like that than it is maybe about this set range of you're going to get this yeah. much snowfall. That's right. So, th- so there's, so there's another product that we're, that, that is, that is a very nice complement to this. That's been uh, operationally implemented this year which is the winter storm severity index. And so what that does is it has criteria, but it's a much more complex and dynamic criteria to better account for some of these impacts. And so in that, in that framework where you have, and so what it's doing is it's screening the official forecasts from the national um, digital forecast database. So the local offices are submitting their official forecasts. It's using those forecasts, applying climatology, applying um, uh, different algorithms to assess different impacts, including snow amount, snow load, uh, ice accumulation, uh, ice uh, impacts, among other things. And it's doing that to get an idea for those impacts, including things like flash freeze, blowing snow. And so l- using those two together, and as in fact, the vision of the program is kind of an eventual merger of those two products along the lines of what you were saying. So right now, the winter storm outlook is, being, is grounded in the very objective kind of criteria-driven um, uh, realm, the, the, winter, the winter storm severity index is still deterministic. So we're not using probability information yet. It's just using the deterministic forecast from the local offices, but it's applying it in an impacts-based context. So our long-term goal is to get to a place where we have a probabilistic winter storm severity index that will in turn um, inform the winter storm outlook so that the winter storm outlook today being just the probability of exceeding a fixed snow or ice accumulation threshold will eventually be the probability of exceeding moderate or severe impacts. Impacts being defined, being being kind of regionally varying and defined in a much more nuanced fashion. And so it's those two products uh, right now that you can, that are nice, that are a nice complement that we eventually want to see kind of come together and form the basis of these kind of consistent, collaborated, and probabilistic products across the agency. I think a lot of people hear outlooks and they are thinking of the Storm Prediction Center outlooks for severe weather that they might be familiar with. How might these new experimental outlooks compare to those? So they might be, they, they, they are potentially similar in that they're, they're, they're probabilistic. They're trying, they're giving a probability of a certain event occurring uh, in a daily cadence. So they, we have day one, day two, day three, day four, and then the maximum probability across days one to four. That would be a different than whether the Storm Prediction Center doesn't have that component. So they're very similar in that they're trying to give advanced lead time and a heads up, right, in terms of 
uh, hazardous weather. So the Storm Prediction Center, as you might know, issues severe thunderstorm watches and tornado watches uh, for the CONUS. And as you might imagine, those are those. It's you know, their obje their objective, uh, probabilistic outlooks, convective outlooks play an important role in that and starting that that process through which they, um, you know, work with the local offices to issue those watches. And so that's actually one of the we're we're, we're leaning in on that paradigm a bit in the in the winter program. Um, not to say that WPC is going to take over watches entirely, a la kind of the SBC model, but to say that we're moving in a direction where those watches are going to be more closely collaborated in an explicit and, and defined uh, uh, fashion and process uh, between the local offices and WPC. And so, yeah, I think there is a lot of, um, you can draw a pretty close parallel between those two. And in a lot of ways, the winter program is trying to um, lean in on the probabilistic element. Um, I think it's recognized how important that is in severe weather because it's, um, you know, we, we kind of, I think it's intuitive, right, that the odds of a tornado, for instance, in, at a given an exact grid point um, in any, at any time is very, very small. And so you, you know, specifically, right, in SPC space, the, the outlooks of the probability of the event occurring within 25 miles of the point, right? And so it's a kind of that, this kind of stenciling out of the grid. And um, in winter, that's not so much our problem but we do have the problem of conveying the uncertainty in the forecast. When you're issuing a forecast for winter weather, you know, we need to know how much liquid equivalent precipitation is falling and its phase. And, it's the, and if it's snow, right, the liquid, the snow liquid ratio, which can vary as well. And so there's a lot of degrees of freedom there. And so it's important that we flesh out all those possibilities. And that's, the, that's why the probabilistic forecasts are so important. And then once we have that suite of probabilistic forecasts, we can kind of take a slice through them and look for these cutoff points where the probability of exceeding uh, a hazardous criteria is enough to warrant kind of these public messages like a winter storm watch, for instance. As far as who this product's actually meant to kind of serve the best, um, on your um, product description document, it, it talks about um, emergency services, um, uh, different kind of broadcast elements, and it also mentions the the general public as well. Can you kind of elaborate a little more on that? So the, the product actually has its background in, in a watch collaborator tool that was an internal um, tool to help forecasters collaborate between the national centers and the local offices. And basically the idea was to, to broaden it up and, and give some of our stakeholders, including the general public, access to, um, to this kind of national picture image um, that gives you the probability of, of hazardous winter weather uh, at extending lead time, right? So day one, two, three, four. And in a way that, again, just kind of improves the situational awareness for stakeholders in the general public, as well as ones you mentioned, like emergency managers and kind of those other stakeholders that, that work closely with the local offices. And to give them, um, I know, uh, um, uh, Scott, you had mentioned, you know, talking with a meteorologist at GSP, kind of another tool in the toolbox, right? And so that's the idea here is that we're giving the general public as well as more sophisticated, maybe decision makers, not to say that the general public is not sophisticated, but the general public as well as more acute decision makers, another tool in the toolbox to improve situational awareness, to understand um, the, the threat of hazardous winter weather, but also to highlight areas where maybe the threat of winter weather is lower than you would, than would qualify for a watch but where certain very sensitive industries might still want to, might want to be aware of that. 
And so it's also an opportunity to better inform the public and those stakeholders about the utility of, um, uh, of probabilistic forecasts and how we use them. So how can the public give feedback on this? So it is important when we have experimental products, the process that we go through um, uh, in the weather service is when we have an experimental product like this, it goes out for what we call an experimental comment and review period. So it's reviewed not just by internal meteorologists, but it's also being reviewed by the general public. And so if you go to the Winter Storm Outlook website, which is hosted by the Weather Prediction Center, uh, there's a link there at the top uh, where you can provide feedback in a survey uh, to you know, give feedback on anything from the, the you know, there's a set list, set list of questions, but it will include things like the scientific integrity, the accuracy of the product, but as well as the aesthetics of the product. Does the display make sense? Does the web page make sense? Is the data easy to access? Um, I do think the Weather Prediction Center has done a really awesome job with that website. It's, uh, it's dynamic. It's in, uh, it's in GIS format. You can download the shape files, KMLs, uh, you can pull static images if you want. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of great uh, ability to get hands on with the data there. It has custom level zooms to each of the um, uh, county warning areas. So for each office, you can kind of get a zoom in to uh, whatever office, whatever area of country you're in. Um, so it's really a very accessible website, but you know it can certainly be improved, I'm sure, um, based on the feedback that we get from the public. And in fact, that's actually important. I'm glad you asked that question because Last year, like I said, this is the second year that this has been experimental. In the first year, last year, we didn't get a whole lot of public comment on it. And I, I think it might have just been an awareness thing. A lot of people weren't as aware that this existed, that this product was out there, um, and that we were looking for comment on it. And so hopefully one of our goals this year is to get, hopefully get more public feedback. Um, and that's not only important to help us improve the product, that is important, but also helps us make the case to organizational leadership that this is a product that we want to support operationally. Um, it's not a foregone conclusion that this will be around forever, right? Um, if the feedback's not positive or, or not sufficient or it can't be resourced, you know, we might have to discontinue the product, right? So, so experimental products aren't guaranteed to continue forever. And so it helps us build that case to transition into operations or to make improvements and then transition to operations uh, in a way that, you know, keeps our program and our programmatic goals moving forward. Well, speaking as a GIS, a daily GIS user, uh, that new user-friendly interface sounds awesome. And I'm really glad that that uh, opportunity is going to be there. Lastly, are there any other winter weather products that y'all are working on besides this winter weather outlook? Um, so that's a, a great question. So the, the winter storm outlook that's experimental right now, I did mention the winter storm severity index that's operational. Okay, that's, that's, that, so that went through this experimental process and has been implemented operationally this year. Um, so a, key, a few key initiatives that we're working on um, that I'll just run over real quick, and they're kind of in experimental space or in development space, just things to look for. Uh, but these are just kind of general things that we're, that we're interested in from a programmatic perspective is uh, I mentioned moving these products through the medium range. And so extending the winter storm severity index and the winter storm outlook through day seven uh, is an important priority. I touched on briefly the development of a probabilistic impact space component. So a winter storm severity index that's in probability form. Um, that's something that we're working toward. Uh, we're working with kind of the research arm of the weather service um, to help kind of move that along and get that into the operational pipeline eventually. Um, and then lastly, one of the things that you might also be familiar with is there's the local probabilistic snow experiment. Um, so at the local level, if you go to your you know, weather.gov slash three digits um, like GSP, although I'm not 
certain that that GSP is participating in the experiment. But supposing it is, if you do slash winter, right, you get the, the main winter page. And one of them is the probabilistic snow forecast. So it shows the expected value and then the high end and low end amounts. And so those are the 10th and 90th percentiles respectively. And what we're working on there is, a, that's been experimental for some time. And we're trying to get that on a path to operations and including probabilistic ice forecasts with that. That might be especially relevant in your part of the country where um, one of the parts of the country where you get a lot of interesting icing events. And um, so that's a complicated issue organizationally that we're working through. And you know, it's something that we're trying to make some progress on, but we're looking forward to there being some experimental changes and then getting that on a path to operations. Um, and so as we kind of kind of tying the kind of what I kind of say like the synoptic scale evolution of the winter program is looking at a future in a few years where you have a probabilistic impacts-based guidance informing the winter storm outlook that's supporting consistent and collaborated winter storm watches around the country. And all of that is being undergird by a consistent national to local suite of probabilistic snow and ice forecasts and potentially extended all the way through day seven across the board. And with, with that kind of, and that's kind of that, like I said, synoptic scale. And then longer term, um, one of the things that we know is important is being able to um, improve the storm scale side of winter weather forecasting, S heavy snow bands, um, uh, snowfall rates, hourly snowfall rates, for instance. Those are things that are really important for impacts. We're talking about impacts. Um, looking at a six hour accumulation, you know, six hour, you know, three inches of snow in six hours. That's nice. If that three inches occurs in one hour, that's very impactful. Um, if it's a half inch an hour for six hours, that's less impactful um, in an acute sense, right? So those kinds of storm scale, micro mesos type um, scale uh, storm impacts is something that we're also working on as well. And so that's a little farther out uh, in, our, in our planning process, but something that we're really aware of as being an important issue that we need to tackle to keep making progress on all the kind of important aspects of winter weather. And for our Carolina viewers, I was just checking as Stephen explained that, and there NWS GSP along with potentially other uh, offices across the Carolinas do offer that winter weather experimental product to see the 10% Perfect. and 90th percentiles. That's yes. uh, weather.gov backslash, backslash GSP backslash uh, winter. Winter, yeah. it is there. Yeah, and you'll see it, it'll be probabilistic. Snow, yeah. Yeah, there's 70, 70, I believe it's 76 or 76 offices around the country offer it. So it's not, it's not in every office. It's not even in every office that theoretically can have winter weather. Um, as you might imagine, you know, offices in, the, in, in parts of the deep south or southwest and the west coast uh, aren't participating in the experiment. Um, but I'm glad to hear that those parts of the Carolinas are. So that's something that definitely check out your local office as you go through this, this winter season. And another opportunity to provide feedback as well um, as we're going through this season, because that's an experimental product. If you go to that website uh, that Evan just mentioned, you can um, also click, there's a, a feedback link there that'll take you to another one of those surveys uh, to provide that feedback to us. Well, Stephen, we appreciate your time tonight. I'm gonna, since you're the program lead, this is your time uh, to let everyone know again how they can find out about all this information. I know you guys are uh, hoping for a lot of feedback. So where should our folks go uh, to find the, uh, the outlooks and the severity index? And again, remind us um, how we can provide that, that feedback for you all. The easiest place to go to 
get started on this is to go to the Weather Prediction Center's website. That's wpc.nsf.noaa.gov. Um, there might be some shortcut versions of that also. And under their Winter Weather tab, um, on the Options panel on the left, you can select the winter, Experimental Winter Storm Outlook uh, or the Winter Storm Severity Index. I think the WSSI might actually be linked at the top of their homepage. Um, and then for the Winter Storm Outlook, that's the Experimental Product Force. They can give a lot of input. Um, for more information on the winter outlook itself, um, I would recommend going to the Climate Prediction Center homepage, um, and they'll have a link to the latest press release uh, from NOAA that was um, that was put together, and and that whole forecast put together by my, my former colleagues at the Climate Prediction Center, and you can read more about that there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephen, and thank you guys for watching us tonight. If you're a big winter weather lover, hopefully uh, you'll be able to use these products. I know last uh, year was kind of a bust for much of the Carolinas winter weather wise. So maybe this year uh, we'll be able to use these products and uh, definitely uh, recommend that you give some feedback. Full disclosure, right? And a La Nina winter, it doesn't look good. It doesn't. You're but right. It's it only takes... It only takes one. Only takes one, and these are all probabilistic forecasts. So you can get lucky, and you can uh, you can pull a rabbit out of the hat here and, and get some winter. So I'm so I'll certainly be rooting for it. Uh, but La Nina winters are not typically our winters here uh, in the eastern part of the U.S., especially the southeastern part of the U.S. Um, unfortunately, but that, that's it. But so you never know. You never know. It's like we talk about the hurricane season. It only takes one. So hopefully. Uh, if we do get that one storm, you'll be able to use these products and definitely provide some feedback. It's a, I Absolutely. personally think it's a great product and hopefully uh, it'll get out of the experimental stage and into operational stage. So Stephen, thank you again for watching. Thank you all for watching tonight. We'll see you real soon.